Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Thank you, JJ, for that introduction. And I also want to thank all my listeners from around the world. We are now in over 50 countries, and that just indicates to me every week that there are many people looking for tidbits, looking for secrets, looking for coping skills, looking for inspiration and motivation. Many of our listeners have been in a hopeless situation, and this show has actually helped them by listening to my guests to turn that part of their lives around. So that's what we're all about. And we thank each and every guest as well as each and every listener. Thank you, thank you. When you leave your reviews, I really appreciate it, and of course, that helps with the show's success as well. So again, thank you in advance. Today with me is Robin Hill. Robin is a licensed professional clinical counselor. She has a Master of Arts degree in clinical pastoral counseling. Robin has her own private practice where she provides culturally and spiritually sensitive counseling, specializing in, and this is what I think is the key today, depression, anxiety, and trauma recovery. Robin has also authored two, two books, at least the, um, there may be more. She'll tell us about that if there is. And the books are to educate on developing coping skills to improve emotional wellness. I think everybody can relate to that. One of the titles is A Healing Conversation, Beginning Steps Toward Dealing with a Painful Past. We don't have to look far to find people who have a painful past, and she's going to address this today as well. Robin has recently launched her new radio show called Mind Healing Conversations. That's quite intriguing, where she discusses various life stressors affecting mental illness, and also to inspire healthier habits for improving our quality of life. So there's a lot there that we're going to touch on today. I am thrilled and honored to have Robin here as a guest. She is a very, very busy lady, and she's taken out her time today to share with you. Thank you, and welcome, Robin. Thank you so much for having me, Carol. I'm so excited to be here today. And my first question to you is an obvious one as far as I'm concerned. Now, I could be way off base, but let's see if I read your bio correctly. <laughs> what is What I'm seeing is that when you have a career such as the one that we have described here and the books that you have written, 
do they come out of your own painful traumatic experiences and did you have to learn coping skills as a result and is that why you coming from a you know a better place to deal with these things so what happened in your life to make Robin who she is I did I think everyone has their own story and I and I do definitely have mine um you know I grew up as as some would call the parental sibling um my parents my father worked a lot my parents um ran a bar, ran businesses. My mother wasn't in the home as much because she was running the bar during the daytime while my dad was at work well into the evening. My parents' marriage wasn't the best. There was a lot of fighting and arguing and sometimes violence. Um, And so, you know, my parents, they just didn't have the best marriage. And with their absence a lot with the working and the fighting, I had to become the responsible one. Me and my sister both took on a lot of responsibility, cooking dinner, making sure that my brothers were, you know, going to school. And, you know, it was a lot of responsibility on us as children, too. And, our, you know, so we weren't um, kids like we should have been or like what other kids might experience. And so, and then dealing with our own kid issues. I was picked on at school, bullied, a lot of things that my family probably didn't even know what was going on because I'm just stuffing and dealing with it on my own. And so growing up, dealing with that, I had to learn coping skills on my own. You know, back then, you didn't take your kids to the therapist. So, you know, (laughs) I was dealing and coping on my own. And I I had my own bouts of depression as a a teenager. And um, it wasn't something that I dealt with until probably... Um, I dealt with it on, in a spiritual sense as a late teen, but um, not everyone comes to grips with it. And that's why I wrote the books that I wrote, because everyone has a breaking point, but not everyone has the same buoyancy. Not everyone has the same resiliency. And it's not a fault to anyone. And a lot of times we break because we're looking at another person saying, well, that person is strong. And they're able to handle it. I should be able to too. And we push ourselves beyond our breaking points. Trying to be like another person when our mind and our spirits can't handle something. And it's giving us the warning signs that this is too much. And we need to be able to reach out for help when our bodies and our minds and our spirits are telling us it's time for, to get some help. Well, you that probably took a while for you to come to that realization. So in the meantime, like as a teenager, how how did you cope? I didn't. I became an angry teenager. <laughs> I had a I had an attitude problem and a chip on my shoulder for several years. Um and then I ran away to college. That was a, you know, uh a coping right, a negative right. coping. It was a positive coping, but it was negative in a sense of I'm running away from home. But I'm going to college, so no one really knows that I'm running away from home. That makes a lot of sense, and that probably yeah. a lot of people do do that. Yeah. So I ran away from home to college, got my degree, um, and then I got married at 21 because I wasn't coming back home. And that is another way that a lot of women, mm-hmm. especially from that era, right, run away. Yeah. So 
it took me until my marriage fell apart in my just about five years ago to reconcile the fact that I was running away from home Mm. and um, I got tired of the running I had to deal with the turmoil of my own marriage to deal with what I was running from in the first place and is this is this one way that you help people then in finding what they are in fact either afraid of or running from okay well talk about that a little bit I have several clients, especially especially if I'm working with a young woman. Don't make that, you know, just deal with where you're at. Deal with your pain and where you're at. Don't run into something else because you're just going to create more pain. Deal with your pain. Feel that pain. Feel your heartache right now. It's okay. Emotions are like waves. They come in and they go out. It feels like it's too much right now, but it will go away. It will stop. But you have to go through this. You have to go through this valley. Actually, the book I'm working on right now, I'm working on my third book. And it's actually a fiction, which is um, Mm. exciting. I really was kicking and fighting against it. But a friend (laughs) of mine, a friend of mine is an artist. He really twisted my arm. He would not let me go on this. He says, you need to write it as a fiction book. Mm. No more self-help. Do fiction. And um, it's a book about heartache. Okay, and um, main, I really, main character being a young woman. Yes. Main character being a young woman. And she's going to see a therapist. So it's really exciting the way I'm writing it. I'm like, really, I used to be an artist. And I say used to be because I have not picked up a paintbrush <laughs> since my teenage years. That was my outlet. That was another outlet when I was a teenager was my painting. My dad did notice that I, there was an artist in me and he gave me his art kit from when he was young. And and that was one of the one of my coping skills is I would do oil paintings and acrylics and all that, and um, self taught by watching Bob Ross on PBS. So, um, I haven't picked up a paintbrush in years. So my artist friend is encouraging me to use my artistic expression and not write another self help in the sense of a bullet pointed book expanding all of those bullet points into characters so this is fun oh that does sound like fun yeah now let's back up a little bit and you certainly again please correct me if I'm making the wrong assumption Mm -hmm. but when someone runs away in -hmm. the form that you did to me there must be some guilt attached to that and how did you deal with that if in fact and how do you help people deal with that I I felt some guilt, but when when I ran away, my freshman year, I felt bad for my 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 brothers because I was like their second mom. You know, I had mm-hmm. before I left, I had created a recipe book, I mean recipe box, put all my recipes in a box like here, this is what I need and I was teaching them to cook because I was worried they were not going to um, have meals, <laughs> teaching them, trying to teach them how to cook before I left for school. And um, I remember my brother writing me a letter. He was, he was a little, my baby brother was um, a little saddened by me leaving. And, um, and I was worried about my mom. And I remember coming home from school my sophomore year, my parents were fighting. And that's when she left and I remember telling her not to come back home. So that's when my parents split up. Because I, I remember saying, you don't need to come back home. I don't want any more fighting. And so knowing that they had split up, 
I was able to go back to school knowing that the fighting was over. But now, for me, my mind was at peace, but my brothers were now in a broken home. Right. So it was a whole right. different scenario. So now yes. they have a different kind of pain that they're dealing with that I didn't have to, I didn't have to see because I just get up and go back to college. And I think that was, that might have been, I might have came home that summer, but then that summer after that, I never came back home. I, w- I rented a room on off campus for the summers. I don't think I came back home after that. Are you glad that you did it that way or would you have done it differently? Um, you know, I live life with no regrets. I feel like it's always Good. life lessons. Good. You know, I don't, I, you know, I got a degree and two beautiful children out of it. So I don't feel like, oh my gosh, I ruined my life. I didn't, you know, I got two degrees out of it. So it's not like, I guess if I'd have made poor choices, I probably would look back and say, oh, you know, that was horrible. But I, I went on into ministry you know, like I, I was doing, I, I went impulsively into some positive life choices trying to not return home. So it's not like I made poor life choices. I went off to college, got a degree, got married, went into ministry, had children, got a master's degree. I kept making good choices, but it was still avoiding what was at home. And doesn't that come down to attitude? And isn't that one of the things that when you are counseling people, that even if we make bad choices, I mean, if we have the right attitude? Mm-hmm. And so how would you address that? Like when people come to you and realize that, you know, they're living in guilt per se because they have made some terrible choices and are suffering the consequences. There's a Maya Angelou quote that says, when you know better, you do better. And she says, if you had... You must not have known better. People do what they, they, they don't know any better. They're coming out of pain or coming out of some issues in their life and they're doing what they know. And if they had known better, they probably would have done better. But because of their issues, they made the choices that they made. But now that you know better, you're making better choices. You can't look back and feel the guilt. You can't beat yourself up for what you didn't know. You know, that is an absolute excellent answer, and I'll tell you why. Because of many of the um, guests that I have interviewed have that same attitude. And one of the problems, uh, on a personal note, uh, from writing a memoir, is people Mm -hmm. like to judge you on your past because you've put it all out there. And Mm -hmm. a lot of my guests have written memoirs, and they do get this negative response that, well, you should have known better. So what you just said is really incredible. Right. (laughs) It really brings release, doesn't it? It does. When I heard my Angela say it, I said, that's absolutely right. If you would have known better, you wouldn't have done that. That's right. Or if you would have known the future. (laughs) Right. You couldn't. And and when people do know actually in their hearts, know better, they don't do those things. When they know it in their heart, they might know in their mind somewhere that that's probably not the best decision. But in their heart, something in their heart doesn't really get it. And that's why they do what they do. I, you know, I just had a, a, a new client. She had such a painful childhood, painful childhood that led to a lot of destructive life choices. But right now, she's like, I'm trying, she's in her 30s and she's trying to finish her high school diploma. 
and she gave up the drugs and and the reckless lifestyle. I said, you know what? Because right now, you know better. You didn't know better then. And you have to commend her for that. Yeah. And, and that- I said, I see it. I see it now. Now you know better. Now you're changing your life because right now you know better. I think that's really important that you that you brought that up. And I really appreciate that. And I will use that. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. You're welcome. Now tell us about um, your driving force. As a woman who is an entrepreneur, because you certainly are, are in the middle of many different projects, What mm-hmm. what is your driving force? What motivates you? Deep breath. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I really have a passion for people. I I love to see people do, you know, come out of their pain. I love to see people get better. Um, Even when I was young, even, you know, the reason I took on the parental role, I, when my mom, she, I, I, you know, I, I I don't like to talk because she's still living and everything, but I know that she fell into a depression. Mm. I knew that when I was a kid. So even when she wasn't working, she kind of struggled get coming out of her room. And Mm. so I knew my brother still needed a mom. And I was going to make sure they did what they needed to do and have what they needed to have so that they would be better. And I would get on them about stupid stuff that they were doing because I wanted them to be better. You know, I just always want to see the best in people. And um, it's just, it's always in me to encourage and help. I just have this passion for people. Even when I was a teenager and angry. Um, you played just, the parent role. Yeah, and I just loved, I, I, I would always help people. Mm-hmm. I had, a, you know, I was always a nice person, even if I was just being mean <laughs> to, you know, I was being uh, oppositional with teachers or something. I was still a nice person. I couldn't just be mean to a person just to be mean. So I just, I really do. I just, I love to see people bloom. That's, if that if that's the word. That is the word. That's very, very well, very well put. Now, your two books, you said you mentioned them earlier and you said that they were self-help. Would you break those down for us and tell us about them? Yes. The first book, A Healing Conversation, Beginning Steps Towards Dealing with a Painful Past, is a very brief book. I wrote that one because I noticed that I had a script that when I first get a client in the office, um, especially when I was working for agencies, you got to build a rapport with people in order to get them to open up. Yes. And I found myself saying a lot of the same things over and over with clients to kind of get them um, acclimated to counseling, why they were there and what I, you know, would like for them to talk about or what we're going to talk about, what my role was, what their role is and what to expect. So I decided to put that into a book. And so that's what that book is, basically. It's just that conversation that we have to warm them up. I put in there um, what type of coping skills they need to develop in order to start talking about trauma and painful past. A lot of times counselors um, and case managers and stuff, they want to jump right into the trauma work, not realizing that clients don't have the coping skills to talk about it and that it triggers them. And that's why people shut down and they're not ready to go there. So I put that in the book to help people 
here, develop these skills before you even get into that conversation. And then I also define depression, anxiety, and trauma in the book. Because a lot of clients, especially, I work with a lot of African-American clients. And um, I want to say a lot of minorities don't articulate their symptoms well. And so when they go, I think um, when you look at the, the, the diagnostic manual, it's written one way. But when we go in, we're expressive. Minorities are very expressive. And it can look like anger, but you got to get past what they're saying and translate what they're saying they're feeling. They don't know how to express that they're feeling uptight or on edge. Those are not words that are used mm. um, generally in you know minority cultures. I'm, I'm feeling keyed up. We don't say that. But that's like words that are used when in your when you're looking at descriptions of anxiety. But okay, uh, okay, you know. But but a lot of times um, it looks like anger. It looks like anger on a lot of especially minority men and women, and so they're getting misdiagnosed as bipolar. Really, mm-hmm. that's really interesting. They're getting misdiagnosed, and I mean because what it is is uncomfortable. The anxiety is uncomfortable, so they're and they're feeling angry, and then because they're you know they're being they're minorities. Because I've even worked on in the west side of Cleveland. Cleveland's very segregated, so I've worked on the west side of Cleveland, and I've had to do assessments with um, Puerto Rican culture and Vietnamese and and Chinese cultures, and I've had translators in there, and the translators have had to help establish the rapport for me to get them to open up to me. Mm. And help me understand what their symptoms were because they weren't ready to tell me either. You know, so a lot of times the guards are up, so they're not telling me all of their symptoms because they're worried. Is this person going to put me in the hospital? I don't want to go to the hospital. Of course. You know, so, you know, you got those cultural walls up. So they're not explaining all of the symptoms that they're having either. So it's getting, you know, they're guarded. They're angry. They're hostile. It looks like, you know, mood swings. And it's not that. So I put in the book how to explain what you're feeling. This is what your body sensations are. Your your hands are sweaty. Your heart is beating. That's anxiety. That's what that is. A lot of people don't know. We know depression. Everybody's heard of that word. That's common. Anxiety is not as common amongst the city, inner city. They don't know that one as much. Um, trauma, they don't know as much because trauma was always often associated with military. But a lot of people have trauma. You know, a lot of people have experienced sexual abuse, physical abuse, um, a very bad car accident. You know, that those things can be trauma. So yeah. I put that in the book so people can understand that. Now, as a self-help book, do you have uh, like a, a work? book that goes with it in in some form or exercises to do or not with that one that one I just wanted it to be a primer for them to consider therapy because I really didn't want to get into the trauma work I did talk about the type of work to expect to get into trauma work but I didn't want people doing trauma work by themselves trauma work can be very re-traumatizing if you try to do it by yourself I really want it to be a primer and say okay this is what you can expect and now maybe you're ready to make that call and go sit down with a therapist. 
So that's what that book is for. Now, Refresh, the Therapeutic Devotional, that is a is a book, too, that you can work through to kind of help you learn how to meditate. It teaches mindfulness and um, prayer. It uses scripture. It is a, um, It uses biblical scripture, but it is not preachy. It's using scriptures that apply to anxiety, depression, anger, grief, those anything that has to do with emotions. I use those and then I write a passage for people to meditate on to help them think about their emotions and pray about it and then listen for an answer from God so they can learn how to reflect. Prayer, reflection, and journaling. Because a lot of times people don't know how to quiet their minds for, for uh, meditation and they don't know how to pray except for sounding like you know when they go to church and pray mm-hmm, those, mm-hmm. you know pretty prayers and you know so. what kind of feedback have you have you had i use that type of journaling in 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 um in sessions with clients a lot of times especially the okay. ones who who like incorporating their spirituality um because they have a spiritual block, maybe they're having a spiritual crisis. And I say, well, what does God think about that? And they say, well, he's not talking to me. And I'll give them that journaling exercise. And um, it's been, it, it's actually quite impressive to have them, you just sit in total silence. And it's not about right or wrong. Is that really what God says? It's more or less letting the pen flow and see what happens, what, what comes out. And it's, um, it's a, it's a nice experience. I've, it's, I've rarely had anything that happens where it's like, hmm, you think I really said that? But it's, you know, it opens up that communication between them and God and lets them talk uh, without, how do I want to say it? Without feeling like they, they're intimidated or? Yeah, yeah. You'd be surprised when you put, when you let the pen flow. When you're trying to sit there and in a kneel position and, and pray you know, your grocery list comes to mind and, <laughs> oh, did I put those, the laundry in a dryer? You can't focus. But when you're just sitting there writing a letter to God and then you're writing back to yourself what you think God is saying, it's just a nice little time of meditation and it's very, it's less aggressive, it's less um, intimidating, like you said. Yeah. Well, prayer is communication and communication mm-hmm. always goes two ways. Right. The one thing, I heard a song yesterday, um, and I, I've heard that song like about probably a hundred times, and I can't even tell you the name of it. But one, one thing that really struck me and um, resonated with me when you were sharing this, and that is, when God is silent, don't wonder if he's there. He's listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I thought about that because people say, God doesn't talk to me, you know, he doesn't hear me. He's listening. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Because it's a two-way street. There's communication happening here, you know. Right. (laughs) And sometimes he he is talking, but we're not listening. Yeah, that's the other side of that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because we're talking too much. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. So that's why I, I put that part in the journal to, okay, now what did he say back? Mm-hmm. So that people can mm-hmm. silence themselves and wait for an answer. Right. Right. And that is crucial. Mm-hmm. Very good. And so, how long have you been, how long have your books been out, Robin? Oh, goodness. I wrote, Refresh came out last spring and um, A Healing Conversation came out the spring before that. So. 
do you recommend that they go hand in hand like you read both of them or um yeah you uh, they yeah they uh, or they can it depends on where they are if they don't have okay. a trauma issue okay. i think the healing conversation is good for anyone who's dealing with pain okay um and refresh is for anyone that wants to learn how to um, just open themselves up, integrate their spirituality into their emotional wellness. I believe that the mind, body, and spirit are connected. And I, and I think that we do a disservice when we just try to deal with the mind separate from the spirit. And if we try to deal with the spirit separate from the mind and the body, I'm just not, um, I, I deal with, I don't deal with health you know, a hundred, you know, I, I'm not a, a nurse or a doctor, mm-hmm. but I like to stress, take care of your body. But I really like to talk about taking care of your spirit. We don't um, talk about that enough and how they go together. Um, when you're having a spiritual crisis, it can definitely affect your mentality. And when you're going through a depression, it definitely can give you a sense of hopelessness and affect your spirituality. So learning to incorporate the two is very important to me. I've also um, read many times that um, bitterness can often cause disease, such as inflammations like the arthritis, etc. And you, mm-hmm. sir, it's related. It definitely yes. is related. Our yes. attitude affects us mm-hmm. in every you know realm of our being. Definitely. So yes, that's a legitimate point. Mm-hmm. Now you have a nonprofit organization. Yes, tell I us do. about that. That sounds really exciting. Virtue Inc. for Women. I have, um, it's, I had to put that on hold, but I'm going to, I'm working very hard to clear some room on my desk to get it back going before 2016 is over. Um, if anything, if nothing else, I want to get my Uganda programming back on the table this year, but it is programming for women. I was doing teen mentoring, um, single mom mentoring here in Cleveland, Ohio, and um, women entrepreneurs called Boss Ladies. The the, the single mom mentoring was Thrive, um, which would eventually develop into some transitional housing for single moms. And the teens were wildflowers. And what we did was we partnered with a church in Uganda and mirrored everything over there. And um, right now... Everything on is on hold because it's very hard to run a nonprofit and get uh, volunteers who are willing to work alongside for free. Definitely, yeah. So it was. It became me. Um, I had a team of a board, but everyone had full time jobs. So it was like, okay, let's. After we did a couple years of programming, it was great, and it wasn't that we didn't do great work, but it was just strenuous. So it's on hold, going to pick back up, but I think I'm going to change the way I was doing it. And I think what I want to do with Uganda is more so sponsorship for education, education initiatives. So the wildflowers, because most girls over there probably only finish up to eighth grade. um, And then they just don't finish beyond that. And from what it looks like statistically, that the main reason they stop is because they get their feminine issues. Their what do you their, mean? Men, their menstrual cycles. Oh, okay. Is their, is their main issue, and probably taking care of home. But the menstrual cycle is the main thing. If that's the main thing, then we can probably partner with Always or somebody and make us get mm-hmm. them to finish school. Um. So Good I'm concept. on top of. 
yeah, I'm going to probably work on something like that that doesn't require a whole lot of um, creating curriculums and, and things like mm-hmm. that over on my end here and then start, you know, having people sponsor a girls' education through high school. It's like a 100-something dollars per kid. And is that your ultimate goal, education? I think so because I want to develop leaders. Okay. And my main goal is develop leaders for, you know, and education and self-efficacy. So in order for them to be, you know, on their, be able to uh, be on their own, education is the main key. And then um, self-efficacy is after that, the thrive, the single moms is whatever trade school they may want. Sponsoring them, once again, it's only a hundred something dollars per person over there in their country. And um, we had the entrepreneurs where we are sponsoring them to do business in the marketplace. Um, There's certain women over there, they sell fish parts or they sell mats or sell different things in the marketplace and they wanted sponsorship for business. So that was our other piece. And what about on the home front? You had mentioned um, in your bio, I believe it was, that you also working with um, young women in Cincinnati, is it? As Cleveland. well, or Cleveland, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, I was mentoring girls. We were working at, um, we were working with a school, mentoring them out through a school. And I had stopped working with them, but I uh, will probably have to start that back up. That that won't start back up this year. I I will need to have volunteers to do that. I just don't have the time. Mm-hmm. But I did. I did for that for a couple of years. I had a couple. I had a, a several girls that I was mentoring. We would take them out. It was inner city school after school program that we had running, and um, we do it after school. And then we took them for Christmas dinner to a fancy restaurant, teach them etiquette. We took them on a few field trips. It was great. It was great. But it was a lot, a lot to to work with. And then with the um, single moms program we worked with the uh, there's this organization called hm life which is uh, humility of mary they had transitional housing for single moms and we went there to mentor them um and uh develop relationships with those single moms to to mentor them on um, self-efficacy and self-esteem and um, that was a pretty good program but it just it's sometimes it's very hard to develop relationships with other organizations too. Unfortunately, uh, the way a lot of programs get, they get very territorial. And, um, so that organization was a, a little ways out. So it was very hard to travel out to get to that one because I couldn't work with an mm-hmm. organization mm-hmm. closer to where I was, um, because of the territorial issues. And HM Life was a great organization to work with, but it was just further out for me. And that was getting to be too much to drive all the way out there. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 a lot trying to run my private practice and the nonprofit. And right now I'm transitioning my private practice into a group practice. And I have a staff of four therapists right now. And I think I'm going to look for one more transitioning that. So once I get this transition fully all together in place, then I can put my attention back on to the outside um, programs again because I really do love my passion for the nonprofit is still there. I just 
it didn't pay That's, any bill. It yes, didn't pay any bills, yes, and it, it yes, took a lot yes. more attention. So, yeah, I, it will. It, it's not off the stove. It's just on the back burner right now. Well, your passion definitely comes through. You, and of course, some of that did come from your experiences as a as a teenager and a young woman. Yeah, but you definitely have a heart for women in particular and people in general. I'm sure. Yeah, uh, this is coming through loud and clear. Now, <laughs> what is um, what is your call to action for our listeners? Call to action. Besides oh. buy your book and besides <laughs> recommend your book for those people who may need to, you know, whether it's not themselves or not, that may need to uh, to tap into some of these areas that you mentioned. But anything else? My my thing is to, to get your healing and then help others. I'm, I'm getting ready to, um, I was talking to my intern today, we're getting ready to put together a, a short group series for narrative therapy and um, we're going to look into doing that to help people write their story and using therapy to help people write their story so I think that's going to be exciting because mm-hmm. after the one client that we had did our intake on yesterday the way she, I mean her story was so dynamic it was such a painful horrific story but the way she told it was so dynamic I'm like you have a book or a movie or something. I mean, it was, and, and there's healing in telling your story. And so we're going to put together a little short series of, of therapy um, group, a short therapy group on narrative therapy to help them get healing, but also help them start writing their story. So I think that a lot of people have a story to write and, um, a story to tell, whether it's through poetry, through a play, or through something, you have something to tell that will bring about, you know, their your healing and someone else's. So that's the call to act, call to action that I have. I totally, totally agree, one hundred percent. Because for years, again, from a personal position, but for years, I kept that story bottled up. Mm-hmm. And you do that because you think, first of all, who's going to care? Who's going to be interested in my story mm-hmm. without realizing the full picture, which is when you tell your story, someone will relate and yeah. someone will see that you got strength to get through whatever the trauma was that you got through. Mm-hmm. And and there's all kinds of therapy that we can use, but I personally believe that one of the most effective therapies is by relating and empathizing with those who have gone through the same thing you have. Right. And then, and then you can begin a conversation, right? <laughs> whether right. it's in a book or, you know, any other way, but I mean, realizing that, yes, I've been there. I've mm-hmm. gotten through that. Now, if you, this isn't necessarily the way you're going to do it, but it will give the reader strength yep. and hope. And that's what we want to share is strength and hope. So Mm -hmm. there you're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Robin, I thank you. Is there anything else you want to say? Anything? Um, No. uh, uh, Let me see. Follow me on, you know, Facebook and Twitter. 
Um, I will have a mental wellness retreat coming up probably this summer. I was going to postpone it to April, but I'm going to probably put it off to this summer. So if anyone needs to get away for a few days and learn some coping skills, mental wellness retreat, subscribe to my newsletter, um, which you can find links to on my website and wherever else you fo- you know, find me at um, to stay updated on anything that I might have going on. Um, subscribe to the newsletter. That's, That's great, Robin, because all the show notes will be on your webpage along with all your links. Mm-hmm. And so anything that you want to add and update later, like your, the upcoming retreat or anything, that'll all be there. And the listeners can get a hold of you and connect with you in a variety of ways. So including your books, they'll be yes. there as well. Yes. So I thank you, Robin. It has been thank a pleasure. You. Now, in closing, that quote again that I believe really made an impact was... Maya Angelou, when you know better, you do better. So simple. Mm-hmm. Takes away a lot of the guilt. When you know mm-hmm. better, you do better. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Bye-bye, Robin. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope. Featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.